Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who is live at one of our three campuses or joining us online. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Taylor. I serve on our teaching team here at the Hills. And if you've just joined over the last few weeks of our series on mental health, this is my first opportunity to say I'm so glad you've been here with us through the journey. Uh, I do want to add for all of our campuses a, a word of endorsement for one spectacular night. I'm, I'm so grateful and impressed by the cast and the crew and all of the kids team that has worked on this, ready to tell the story of Moses. It is going to be spectacular, uh, not only uh, in a theatrical sense or a storytelling sense, but, but it's going to be impactful from a spiritual sense. And so I uh, hope you're going to be thinking about who, who are you going to bring? who's a, a, a young uh, kid in your life, or maybe it's a neighbor or a family member that you could, you could say, hey man, I hope you'll join us uh, this week because it's going to be a blessing. Well, having said that, we are continuing our series and today we're going to be talking about anxiety. And so I want to start with a lighthearted example in our chat-based world of social anxiety. This was uh, uh, something that a dad sent to their, his family chat group that got shared online. The dad texted, I can't keep up with the pressure of always having to lull or like or heart everyone's random thoughts, picks, and amusements. For all future texts, I love them, laugh at them, or like them, unless it's bad, then I dislike them. In perpetuity, I can't live with this pressure, I'm out. <laughs> so feel free to steal that. You can copy and paste that into your chat group of choice if you've ever experienced chat-based anxiety. Now that's a lighthearted example. And I wanted to start light because most of what we've talked about in this series has by necessity been pretty heavy. And uh, when we launched into this series, and I'm so grateful for our senior teaching minister, Rick Ashley, uh, praying and leading us into this series and carrying it so well and so faithfully. In fact, at our campuses, can we thank Rick for his faithfulness? And Rick stated our, our goal as a church, when we entered into this series, there were three goals to remove the stigma from the topic of mental health, to foster compassion inside of our church family, and lastly, to encourage those struggling to reach out for help. Now, when we talk about a topic like anxiety, in some ways it's becoming a little bit more understood, and in other ways it's still something that people struggle to, uh, struggle to know how to respond when someone is wrestling with anxiety. Best-selling author Friedrich Bachmann writes in his novel, Anxious People, he says, quote, I think most people would still get more sympathy from their colleagues and bosses at work if they showed up looking rough one morning and said, I'm hungover, than if they say, I'm suffering from anxiety. Amen. And yet the stats tell us that anxiety is by far the most common mental health struggle. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America notes that anxiety disorders affect around 40 million adults. That's around 19% of our nation's population, years 18 and up. Now that number is actually higher if you look at adolescents age 13 to 18 years old. 36% of teenagers, adolescents, uh, will be affected by an anxiety disorder in a, in a year. The numbers in our church tell a similar story. 
We took a church-wide survey of over 2,500 participants asking about uh, struggles with mental health. And by far, anxiety and worry were the top struggle. 70% of our church said that they had struggled with some kind of anxiety or worry in the last 12 months. That's num that number is even higher when you break it out uh, among different age demographics, with the highest being among 20 to 29-year-old respondents, with over 95% saying they've struggled with anxiety or worry in the last 12 months. To complicate matters, when, I, when we started this series, we heard from folks who said, I'm so glad you're talking about this, but honestly, I have a lot of guilt because I grew up being taught in church that anxiety is a sin. And so unfortunately around this particular topic, it's not only something we struggle with at, at a larger rate than anything else, it's also the thing that can sometimes create the most sense of guilt or shame inside of church. And I think some of that's based on how we read different passages. Jesus, for instance, warns in Luke 21, he says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. And we recognize that can create a burden for people in their daily lived existence. And we know that it's not helpful. That's why Jesus's brilliant question in Matthew 6 is so famous. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? We know the answer is no, it can't add anything. And yet many of us know that it can take away hours of our lives. It can take away hours of sleep at night as we lie awake. And Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And if we, just, if we just hear that, it's like, oh, okay, Jesus, well, thanks. I didn't know that was the game plan. I'll just not do it. The apostle Paul has a similar word in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. I guess I just need a one-point sermon today. I just look at everybody and say, okay, stop. Let's pray. Like that is not helpful. Now, now if we read it like that, our mindset might be that we now feel more guilt. We were already feeling stressed and anxious. Now we feel guilty. So let me, let me bust a myth. Let me remove a stigma around the topic of anxiety. Experiencing anxiety is not a sin. It's a signal. Experiencing anxiety is not a sin. It's a signal. It's a God-given signal. Did you know that anxiety is actually something God gave us that's wired into our biological alarm system? Our nervous system experiences anxiety that can actually help us survive or respond to threats, or it can help us plan and prepare for the future. It can motivate us to perform well. And that's healthy, normal anxiety. But there comes a point where anxiety is no longer healthy, no longer helpful, where it can lower our quality of life where it can affect our relationships, where it can keep us from being present in the life God has given us. Now, just because you struggle with anxiety doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder. But our world, it has been noted many times uh, in, in writings from the mental health field and experts that our world is getting increasingly anxious, which is why within the last decade, Harvard Medical School came up with a new category. Uh, the category is almost anxious. So not, not so anxious that you have an anxiety disorder, but anxious enough that your quality of life is beginning to diminish. One of, their, uh, one of their professors at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Luana Marquez, wrote a book under that name, 
And she shows kind of this graph to help explain anxiety's effect on our lives. Look, look at this, this graph. So on one axis, you have performance, your ability to, to meet the day, to do the things you know you need to do. And on the other axis, you have your anxiety level. The clinical term for this would be, would be arousal, this, this idea of a heightened sense, heightened senses, heightened worsy or, uh, worry, or maybe pressure is a different way to think about it. And so as anxiety or pressure increases, our performance actually can increase. Like to the point where we can actually hit peak performance because we're responding to appropriate pressure. I'll give you a very personal example. It's this moment right now that I'm in. Preaching God's word is a huge honor and also a responsibility. I want to do it well. And so I feel appropriate pressure to steward the teaching of God's word, which that pressure midweek causes me to study and to prepare and to pray, to give this sermon to God. But if there are times where I experience more anxiety, uh, then all of a sudden my performance can dip and I can find myself distracted. Maybe you can relate to that. Because in the graph, there's a point at which anxiety increasing, pressure increasing, actually causes us to slip in our ability to meet the moment. All the way to the right, at the lowest quality of life, the most kind of bound and trapped by anxiety, that's where anxiety disorders would be diagnosable. But this, that slide down in quality is this category of almost anxious. And I really believe when you look at the disorder statistics of 20%, but then you look at our church, 70% of whom are saying, I've struggled with this. That doesn't mean that 70% of our church is diagnosable. It means that we have all experienced anxiety hindering our lives. And that looks like, it looks like when you can't turn your brain off and fall asleep. It looks like when you actively avoid stressful things on your to-do list to the point that it actually hinders your performance at work or school. It looks like when you don't have brain space to invest in relationships around you because of all of the intrusive thoughts. One person shared at the beginning of this series uh, in an email to Rick that even when they're not worried about things in their own life, anxiety manifests as, quote, empathy on steroids because they just, they just feel like they kind of absorb the worries of the world or the stresses and burdens of people around them. It can look a lot of different ways, but what it results in is being burdened and tired and often isolated, feeling guilt or shame. Now, in the Bible, this invitation not to worry, I believe there is a willful kind of worry that Jesus is talking about. An everyday kind of worry where we choose to fixate on certain things because we want to have control over them and we refuse to kind of let go of them. That's different than chronic or compulsive anxiety. So the good news is that where we struggle the most, God seems to have the most to say in his word. The rest of the, the topics in our mental health series, you can find examples of them in scripture, but they're not all throughout the Bible, the way that the topic of worry, fear, and anxiety are addressed over and over and over again by God. So let's hear some of those, those commands, those words from God in context. I'll give you a, a famous one, Joshua 1.9. Do not be afraid. This is one of the most common and repeated messages from God to his people in all of scripture. Don't be afraid, do not fear. 
And if we hear those over and over again as a command from a frustrated heavenly father, then we are mishearing what God is saying. It's like if, if, uh, if my boy is, is scared, my six-year-old, because of a big storm, when he comes into our room in the middle of the night because the thunder is getting really loud or lightning's flashing in his window, I'm not saying, don't be afraid, go back to bed. I'm not saying, suck it up, kid, head back. As a heavenly father, what God is saying is like what I say to my boy, which is, oh, buddy, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Well, look, look at the rest of Joshua 1.9. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. To every single one of us, regardless of what our experience of anxiety looks like, God says he is with us. That is his word to us in the midst of our worry or our fear. God says he's with us. Like I would say to my boy, oh, buddy, don't, don't be scared. Dad's here. It is a word of assurance. It's a word of invitation. It's a word of comfort. It's not intended to create condemnation or shame for us. And I could show you all kinds of examples. You can find examples of this in, from Genesis to Revelation. Let me show you one of my favorites in Isaiah 41. In verse 13, God says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. You don't need a visual picture of a God who has his arms crossed and his brow furrowed. You need a visual picture of God taking your hand and saying, don't be scared, I'm here. Like, this is how God meets us. Even in that famous passage from the Apostle Paul, do not be anxious about anything. Guess what? The words right before it, literally right before it in the epistle, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near, like he is with us, but that passage also tells us what else God says. God says we can give him our worries that we, we can offer them to God. We can say, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with right now. That's not a, that's not a silver bullet. That's not, that's not a switch that automatically means, okay, I'm done worrying about that. It means even in our struggle, we can bring it to God. I spoke to someone earlier this year who'd been going through an incredibly stressful season, so much so that as their anxiety was mounting, they reached out to a counselor, they were prescribed anxiety medication, and they started taking those meds on a weekend experiencing all of these horrible side effects from getting onto the medication. They just felt so low and off. That weekend, they listened to the sermon at our church. We were in 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is what they heard that weekend. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. For that person, it was like God met them in that moment so that they would feel seen and they reached out to me after that sermon and met with me and they said, you know what, I might still be struggling, but I can give my struggle to God. I might still be struggling, but God's with me in the midst of the struggle. But right now I want to talk to the person who has struggled with an anxiety disorder and might be thinking, Taylor, I have prayed, but I'm still gripped with anxiety. 
I do believe God is with me, but it's still a painful battle every day. And to that person, man, if that's you, I just want to, I want to say, I'm so sorry. And I am sorry if the church has inadvertently heaped more guilt or shame on you in the midst of your struggle. That is not God's word over your life. You are not defined by your disorder or by your daily thought life. You are defined first and foremost by who God says you are. You are made in his image. You are his beloved child. You are a son or daughter that God loves and cares about. And I want you to hear that you're not alone. You know, throughout this series, we've had different people share uh, from their experience and give testimony to how God's met them in their struggle. And today, I, I don't have uh, a, a journey with an anxiety disorder, but there's someone very close to me in my life who does and who has walked that journey. And I'm very grateful they've agreed to come share a little bit of their testimony. And so if you would, Hills Church, would you help me welcome to the stage my wife, Courtney Walling. Hey. hey. Well, this is exactly where I want to be right now. So <laughs> it's okay. I brought my emotional support mug of tea, so I think we're going to get through it. There you go. Yeah. It does have cats on it, which I don't think Rick would have approved of. That's, that's but why I brought it, actually. Yeah, Thank you yeah. for pointing that um, out. Thank you for agreeing to come do this, and um, I know that you're not new to the stage. Courtney, uh, for those who may be newer to our church, has uh, been part of our worship team for years and, and uh, sung at, at different campuses, so I know the stage is not new, mm -hmm. but I know this is different than lyrics off of the confidence monitor. It's true. I, I cannot Ron Burgundy my way through this, so it's yeah. Yeah. going to get interesting. So, uh, so to start the story, we're going to go to fall 2019, and we're going to do some stress stacking. Excellent. You're in, uh, at the time, your third trimester, mm -hmm. uh, 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 pregnant with our second child. Yes, I was, I'm great with child. At the time. And, um, and then in the midst of that, which was a harder pregnancy, uh, your husband, six weeks before you're due to give birth, breaks his foot playing basketball. Mm, genius move. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, has to have surgery. Yep. I wasn't allowed to put any weight on my, on my foot for, um, for a couple months, which included the first about month and a half of my daughter's life. I mean, if you didn't want to change diapers, you could have just said. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, would have been helpful. And, and uh, to stack one more time, and unfortunately much more seriously, uh, your stepdad, Tom, a wonderful man, had been battling cancer, and that fall it just got worse to the point that right before, um, leading up to Thanksgiving, we were told in all likelihood this would be his last holiday. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to kind of change plans for, for Thanksgiving. We bought tickets to be able to go up to, to Montana. Um, and the night, November 2019, the night we bought those tickets, we were talking in our bedroom, and then what happened? Well, I didn't know it in the moment, but I had my first panic attack. And what did you experience? Well, panic attacks are, I think, a little different for everybody, but for me, I know something is coming on when my fingers start to tingle. And then my heart will start racing for no reason, and I'll start to feel very warm and maybe a little nauseated. And then it's kind of like being hit by a freight train. Um, it's like this sudden, really intense feeling of, of overwhelming dread. It really does feel like like you're gonna die. It really feels like 
like you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna die in that moment. And specifically in that moment, I, I, my brain was telling me, there's no way I can draw enough breath to live. Mm. And I was so gripped by panic that I, th I think I was utterly catatonic for about 15 minutes. Yeah, um, and, and it was kind of one of those things where I didn't understand what was happening. You know, immediately we, we called um, uh, some of the team at, uh, at the birth clinic because you were six weeks postpartum at the time. Exactly, six weeks And the next morning uh, you met with, uh, with some of uh, the midwives who helped you kind of understand what was going on, which they, you were diagnosed with postpartum panic disorder. Mm -hmm. And so started seeing a counselor, started taking medication. Right. And while some of those early steps were sort of immediate triage, even in the weeks following, you were still experiencing a lot of these symptoms. Yes, a lot of panic attacks, a lot yeah. of anxiety attacks. Yeah, um, and, and life did not help. Um, uh, very sadly, Tom did die after that visit over Thanksgiving. And so we, in December, planned to go up for the funeral. Yeah. We had to buy tickets fast and we were on separate flights. You were flying out ahead of me um, and, uh, and flying with our two-month-old daughter. And so you get on the plane and what happens? Well, I sat down in my window seat with Imogen in my lap and the freight train hit. And I, I just had this overwhelming feeling along with all of my physical you know, manifestations of panic, but I had this, this overwhelming feeling that if I did not stand up and rush out of that plane, that I was gonna die in that plane. And ultra low moment, I picked up my two-month-old daughter and just plunked her in the lap of the very strange man sitting in the seat next to me. Awesome. And I, I was just, I was holding on for dear life, just trying to keep it together long enough to get through 10 minutes of sheer terror until we, we got off of the, uh, the runway and into yeah. the air. And I, and I think, it, you know, it's worth noting for, for, for this journey, I, I kind of, I was new to all of this as a husband trying to support. And so I had this wrong thinking that either meds were just gonna kind of turn everything off and there wouldn't be as many issues uh, or that that plus counseling should help this happen quicker, which that was just wrong. <laughs> that was just oh, not true. Oh, if you had been right, though, that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been awesome. And, and that, that started a longer, a longer journey uh, of what I've heard you describe as kind of the desert season yeah. of some of, you know, 2020. Um, because basically, even though you made progress with the counselor um, in the first couple months of 2020, uh, then March 2020 rolled around, and all of our anxiety spiked. Yeah, my timing was so good on all of this, guys. Yeah. Just so good. Yeah, so at that point, you, I remember you saying at the time, like, it was like you had lost so much of the progress that you yeah. felt like you'd made. Absolutely. And that started a longer journey that wasn't just postpartum panic disorder, but was general dis anxiety disorder. Yeah. And um, in the midst of all this, what was happening with your relationship with God? Well, so I'm going to give you a couple metaphors. I don't know if you know this about me, honey, but I really like to speak metaphorically a lot. Um, <laughs> so uh, it can be a little hard for me to kind of get a grip on what emotions I'm feeling, just generally. That's part of my, my journey, becoming emotionally healthy. But for me, it's been helpful to think of my emotions in general as like, like a, just a series of dials. And when I'm at my emotional and mental, just like the healthiest, I, I have a lot of agency over the dials and I can turn them up and down and I can emotionally regulate in, in most 
normal situations. Yeah. And with, with generalized anxiety, it feels like just that one fear dial is just cranked so high that it's really hard to hear anything else on that dial board. It's just, you can't hear anything else. I think the other, maybe more helpful, specific metaphor would be like thinking of anxiety as, as wearing um, ear, ear, earbuds or ear, ear pods or something. Yeah. Like, have you ever gone to a concert with um, earplugs, earplugs yeah. in your ears? Um, it's, it's a bit of a disconnecting experience a little bit, especially if you try to have or carry on a conversation with a concert goer, you know. Um, it feels kind of quiet, kind of fuzzy, kind of, you feel kind of disconnected. And that's because you've made a trade-off. You, um, in order to protect your, your ears from any kind of hearing damage, um, you've taken out a lot of the sonic information in the room that is surrounding you. So you're only getting a small percentage of what's actually happening around you. Now that kind of fuzzy, limited feeling is what it feels like in my brain a lot, emotionally and mentally. Because my brain has made this trade-off. Um, in order to protect myself, my body, from any perceived or real threat of harm, I spend a lot of my mental energy in the future thinking about what could happen what is the worst that could happen? How can I avoid all of that? And then just every scenario around those three questions, just over and over and over and over until I just can't really remember what it was that I was initially anxious about. And then I'm just anxious and I don't know why. And this is all day, this is every day all the time. And that's generalized anxiety. And that's, it's, it's exhausting, it's really exhausting. You can't turn it off. And it just, it leaves me with so little mental bandwidth in which I can navigate the world with. I'm working with just, just a little bit. And having just this much mental energy to work with makes it just impossible to connect with others on a really deep level. Yeah. It makes it really hard to feel the nearness of anything, much less the nearness of God in that moment. Right, uh, and you know, during that season, some of 2020, 2021, um, while you're feeling that, that disconnect and having mm -hmm. limited bandwidth, you're still, we're still going to community group. Yeah. When, when we would gather, we're, you're still coming to church and, and worshiping. Uh, what did those spaces feel like when you're carrying all of this internally? Deeply lonely. I mean, when you can't connect with people, you are alone. Yeah, and, and it's... It, I, I just remember feeling so many times sitting in this big room with so many people who I know, who I admire, who I love, and, I, and who I know admire and love me, and I just could not feel it. Mm. I could not feel that. And that is so lonely and sad. That's a sad place to live. Yeah. And I, and I remember you expressing during that time, uh, it's hard to be around people who seem to feel very close to God when you yes. don't. And it yes. left you feeling like, I wonder if I'll ever feel close to God like that again. Yes, that was a huge source of anxiety just coming here. Was, am I ever gonna get to have that again? Mm. Do I get to have that again? Yeah. Yeah. So as, as the journey kind of continued, which was a lot longer and, and still, you know, still is ongoing in some ways, um, 2022, by God's grace, brought a little bit of, you know, some healing and some, some payoff from months and months of counseling and, 
and all, all of the work that you had done, but, but it, some of that healing happened in an unexpected way for you. Um, you are you're an introvert. And, that is um, true. Yes. yes. And, and uh, you know, you. earlier in the series, if you heard uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Trent Longhoffer's message, Dr. T talked about, uh, talked about connection being this important thing that God uses to help our emotional and mental health. And so talk a little bit about how God used connection and community, um, not in a big room, but with a particular group for you. Well, um, let me start by saying that it's, I mean, basically what it looks like is it's, it's like 10 middle-aged suburbanite women who also lead Worship at the Hills, just kind of like goofing around on social media and the occasional local me Mexican restaurant. Like, I get it, I know what it looks like. Um, <laughs> but really what it is, is it's, it's a group of women who love me exactly where I'm at. And often that's a really weird sense of humor and it's a lot of anxious thoughts, but these women have mourned with me. They know me, they've celebrated victories with me. And they're absolutely a safe place where I can just let it all hang out. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. yeah, and that, yeah. that kind of community is, is such a gift, um, whether you're extrovert or introvert, yeah. that God and was I, using that place. I, I, I did not realize how social God made all of us to be and how much I actually needed that for my own mental health. I just did not know yeah. until now. And, and God used some of that first half of 2022 to prepare you and to prepare us for something we... Uh, didn't know was going to happen and never wanted to happen. In June of 2022, a year ago this month, we got a call that nobody wants to get. Um, and that was the, the tragic news that your oldest brother, uh, Cody, had, had died uh, due to health complications related to alcoholism. And, um, and while, while in some ways we knew that, that he'd been struggling for a long time, um, you know, that still came as a shock. And, uh, and so... That's a week that anybody would experience anxiety yeah. and anybody would be uh, in a, an emotionally kind of broken place. And so when we bought tickets and we we're going to fly up, you know, I, as, as your husband, I'm watching, wondering, is this going, are we going to experience kind of what we had before of like several steps back? Mm -hmm. Is there going to be a panic attack, you know, on the way to the airport or, and, I'm, and so I'm kind of watching. And yet, even though there was grief, and, and tears and all the things you'd expect when you're mourning a loved one. A couple days into that week, I remember saying to you, I, I haven't seen any of what I thought I might see um, because I've just been watching to make sure that you're okay. And instead I've seen this calm, this resilience, um, this steadiness. And when I told you that, do you remember what you said to me? I think I said that, um, that I had been asking for peace and that God was giving it to me that week. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was... <laughs> for me, when I think about what Paul write, writes in Philippians 4, uh, I think about that week. You had a lot to be anxious about mm -hmm. and you were experiencing anxiety, but you were giving it to God, asking him for what you needed. And he was guarding your heart and mind with the peace of Christ. Um, and, and while that's like a, a beautiful moment that shows, oh, God was with you in the midst of that, 
we would not be able to honestly sit up here and say, and ever since that moment, you know, all the days have been, have been easy. Yes, it's been, it's been an unbroken boulevard of green lights from there. No. So False. <laughs> for the, even in the journey since then, What has God taught you that you can carry into the days when it feels like the desert season again? What has God taught you when you face the days where he doesn't feel close? Yeah, I, uh, I, am, I am actively learning uh, that my, my emotions, that my, whether or not I'm feeling God that day, is, it's just not a great indicator of the presence of God in my daily life. Um, I, I still struggle every day with generalized anxiety. I mean, just last week, exactly a week ago, I walked to the front of the stage to lead the first song in worship, and I could feel my body start to disassociate from the moment, which is a very good indicator that I'm about to have a panic attack. And you know what? I, I'm just, I'm not going to let panic sink the ship. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I was able to pull myself back into the moment yeah. and lead worship for the next 20 minutes. And there's absolutely victory in being able to do that now, um, for sure. Um, but there's also, there, there could be, if I let it, this feeling of disappointment that I am still there. Yeah. I'm still working on it. Um, but you know what, I, if I zoom out and I look at, I mean, I could look at my whole life up to now, but even just looking at the last four years through making that first scary step and asking for help to committing to medication, which was difficult, and reaching out and finding community, which is not in my wheelhouse, established that. Um, and then just a lot of, a lot of talk therapy, so much talking. And, and all the inevitable, painful, internal work that comes with, with that. Mm. Honestly, it's, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's taking a long time to get better. Yeah. But what I want you to hear is that it's worth it. Yeah. It's absolutely worth it. Mm. This emotional support is not working. <laughs> um, I want you to hear that this change in me, the, um, oh, the cycle breaking we're doing in our family, it's, yes. um, it's how God is redeeming my, my story. Yeah. 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 Mm. And uh, even when I can't feel it, obviously God is there. Yeah. God is making me new. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm done now. When when we drove in this morning, um, uh, you can remain standing. It's okay. 
we're, we're, I promise, we're about to pray. Uh, when we drove in this morning and we were praying, we were just reminding ourselves, um, and this is, this is our family, these are our friends, so our, um, and, uh, and so, Courtney, thank you for, for paying the cost of retelling um, and stepping into that again. Um, I know that you've even met with your counselor to talk about talking <laughs> about anxiety. Um, and, Feels great, yeah. Uh, and so thank you for paying that cost for your, for your church family. And for the person who's listening who you are still there, it is the desert season or it is the daily struggle. Um, we we want to paint a picture through Courtney's testimony, not that everything will be better tomorrow, uh, not that even if you respond after we pray that, um, that everything, everything's going to go away, all the, all the symptoms or all the thoughts, but that you don't have to live with the lie that you are alone. You do not have to live with the lie that you belong isolated. You do not have to live with the lie that anxiety is the dominating narrative of your life. Uh, there is a better word God has spoken over each one of his children. And so we want to we, we we pray that better word over you, that better word of hope and that better word of peace. And so uh, would you bow and let's pray together. Oh, God, I thank you so much for how you take our stories and you redeem them. Uh, you redeem them even when we're in the middle of the story, in the middle of the struggle. I pray for those who are, who are experiencing daily anxiety, and I pray your word of peace over them. Uh, that your word of peace would reign true even when they don't feel it or experience it. That, that your promise of presence would, would remain true even when they can't sense that you're close. But God, we do ask in your mercy and grace that you would break through and help some sense or feel or hear your voice uh, even today that they might experience more of your peace and know that, that you see them and care about them even in the midst of that struggle. And I pray for, for our world that's grown in anxiety that your word of peace would be spoken over our world, over our nation, over our community, and over our church. Yeah, Holy Spirit, bear the fruit of peace in our lives uh, that we might love and patiently walk with all around us, whatever they're struggling with. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.